Kate, and how are you? Where are you? Or in New Zealand second language, te reo Māori, kei te pihia koe, kei te hia koe. Kia ora, Shelley. Uh, kei te paio. Hare mai ki te Arthur's Pass. We're in Arthur's Pass. <laughs> it's um, on the, uh, in the Southern Alps, on the Canterbury side, so I guess it's like... West Canterbury, it's all good. It's all good when you come down to my hood, as a uh, uh, local hip-hop artist, Scribe, would say. Uh, welcome to the How Are You, Where Are You podcast. It's an audio travelogue of our adventures by bike, an adventure that has seen us say, how are you, where are you, in 10 languages now. But really, it's just a, a long, long bike ride covering roads between London and the Hutt Valley of Aotearoa, New Zealand. In breaking news, we are sitting inside Terry the Tent and we are repelling repeated Kia attacks. Uh, we're sitting on a campsite on Arthur's Pass or just over it. Um, and this is a bird, the Kia, and it's a mountain parrot. And it has a real reputation for pecking at things and being curious about things um, so it's notorious for ripping the rubber out of your windshield wipers on your car and um, we've heard that they can possibly damage your tent as well we're staying at a department of conservation campsite and the sign on the shelter over there gives you a bit of a warning yeah it's said that uh, there have been tents destroyed uh, even very recently a girl in there tonight was saying that she heard some, I guess it's like rural myth, <laughs> that uh, yeah, a, a Kia went and destroyed someone's tent. And we heard this from some cycle tourists just recently saying that a ranger was warning them that um, some cycle tourist had his tent completely destroyed. He went for a walk, came back, the whole thing was in tatters. It's because these birds have very, very strong beaks. They're these mountain parrots. We're up at about a thousand meters or just under 900 meters altitude would you say yeah it's about 800 now we came down off the top of it yeah so and these are mm. uh, these parrots they live in the mountains in the forests and they've got really strong beaks and they're they're smart Par all parrots are really smart and so when they see things you know that they can explore and play with they start to pull them apart um so baden's got the watch tonight from midnight till 8 a.m is that what we agree oh no 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 uh, my union said that uh I'm on from 7 o'clock to 8. And we keep hearing them um, making noises. One was running around the outside of the tent yeah, before, so I'm worried that he's going to get the guy ropes and start pecking at them or something. Yeah, but yeah. hopefully our presence and, I don't know, my bad smell uh, might keep them away. Haven't showered after that ride up Arthur's Pass. <laughs> but w what a great ride that was, right? Yeah. It was outstanding. Uh, we, I don't know how long was it, about 60, 70 kilometres, I guess. Mm -hmm. And started off riding up that beautiful valley. And uh, and then we hit the big wall just past the pub in Oteta, right? Oh, my gosh. I don't know what the gradients were. Maybe 13%? Probably maybe. between 15 and 20 a lot of the time. Wow. Yeah, we hit like a wall. It was like two kilometers of just grind up the hill up to this viaduct crossing over this big viaduct that was an impressive climb and uh you know i thought with it being at the end of the day that we might bottle it a bit and 
throw patties at each other, but we kind of held it together and really enjoyed it. The endorphins were flowing today, right? Yeah, it, it was surprisingly enjoyable. I, I have to say I was kind of smiling quite a lot on the way up, which <laughs> um, if you know me, if you've listened to this podcast, you know I'm not like a big fan of hard graft. And for some reason, I just kind of thought about all the climbing I'd done on this trip and I was like, I can totally crunch this, you know, like yeah. I, I know what I'm doing. I can, my legs are strong enough. And so I had the confidence and I was in the right mental state and, and so I got to enjoy it. And, and I have to admit, I was also thinking about two of my, our friends who are getting married, like almost as we record this now, um, in the UK. And I was just thinking about those guys and just, you know, wished I could be there with them and, um, and just felt inspired by them and happy for them. And the whole experience was was really nice. And I used to go to spin classes with um, my friend Suze. And I, and I do often think of her when I'm climbing on a really hard climb. And so, yeah, it was, um, it was just a real feeling of, of elation is probably the best way to describe it. Yeah, and the, the views really help with that, don't they? You look back down the valley. And the cool thing today was that it was kind of grey skies the whole way up. But then when we could get sight of the pass, I guess it was, we could see blue over the other side. So it was grey on the west coast, but blue in Canterbury. And so seeing that blue sky there and then riding into the blue sky at the end of the ride that uh, kind of all added to it. It's sort of like the blue sky was drawing you towards it. You just wanted to get into that blue sky. And we had a little bit of a tailwind, which was well, very welcome. Yeah, it was kind unusual, of pushing eh? you up. Yeah, yeah, yeah. it's just kind of unusual to feel that you're getting a push from behind up a really steep climb, yeah. uh, thanks to the tailwind. But And lots of waves and smiles and looks of in- incredulity coming from the driver's like yeah, in the camper vans. Yeah, the camper vans coming down the hill. You could smell all the um, the clutch and brakes. Yeah. You know, obviously people don't know how to ride on hills. They just put the clutch in and then ride the brake on the way down. Or it's called riding the clutch, I guess. Yeah. And uh, and then yeah, people were just like looking at us. With you could see their eyes open up, and a lot of people were just laughing, going, "Look at those suckers riding up that steep ass climb." I know, but then we're like grinning back at them like idiots. Yeah, yeah, they like, must have thought that's really strange as yeah, well, right? <laughs> oh, it was great. It was really great. We may now be in Canterbury, but um, this past week has been all about our ride up the South Island's west coast. Yeah, and here's where it all started. Welcome to Hast Pass. <laughs> This is the uh, the road that links uh, Otago with the west coast, and um, the road, despite having uh, sort of starting off in the 1880s and 1860s when they were making sort of tracks, there's kind of a bridleway that crossed to uh, drive stock over. Um, the road wasn't actually sealed until the 1960s. Oh, yeah, and so um, we're here on Hast. Pass, which is one of these funny things when you say it too, because when you say it, you a lot of people, I bet they say Hast Past. Yeah, I do. Yeah, yeah but it's Hast Pass. Mm-hmm. And uh, it's only 564 metres, so it's not much of a pass. But um, it's quite cool because it signifies the um, what really feels like going into a new country, I think. Like I was sort of thinking today as a camper van pulls over to let a vehicle pass and then just big revs show oh mister that guy's a real man that was a narrow miss nearly got us mm. um 
Yes, coming over to the West Coast feels like we're going to a different country, <laughs> which is a, a bit of a strange feeling. Um, I don't know, it's just because of what we were saying in the, um, in the last podcast about how notorious the West Coast is, but this is the start of it, and I guess we'll find out for real if it does feel like a different country. I can already feel like more and more hordes of sand flies biting me, which I think is going to be the similar story on the West Coast. Quite famous for getting bitten by these little black flies. I think we've already talked about them on the podcast, but they um, they come out at dusk and at dawn and they annoy everybody. And we were reading earlier that these uh, insects, which are honestly flocking around my face while I'm speaking, they're, they're known in Māori as namu, which I didn't know. So these insects used to plague the guys that actually built this road and um, we were reading before that there was a, they used to sort of have a competition they'd sit sit around at night and hold out a bare arm and then um, as each butt as each sandfly bit them they'd squash it and the most someone got to was 64 squash sandflies on their bare arm <laughs> yeah. yeah pretty gross it's quite funny here there's a like a nice little stone monument covered in moss and set behind it is um, I don't know, we're going to say, call it a beach forest. Yeah, we're going to call it beach. Yeah, and obviously there's so much rain here because everything is covered in moss and it's actually really beautiful and spooky. But right over here on the plaque, it's quite funny. The Haast Pass, an old Māori route used by Charles Cameron in January 1863 and by Julius Haast, who followed it from Wanaka to the west coast. So I love how they sort of say it's just typical of New Zealand colonial history. Oh yeah, this was an old Māori route, but oh, let's put a plaque here because two white guys came over it. <laughs> that feeling you had, Baden, of, you know, kind of entering new territory almost a new country it was sort of justified in the end because we dropped over the other side to Haast and and it just felt like empty and remote yeah it was a really long and snaking descent following the Haast river and uh yeah you've really felt like you're in the middle of nowhere it was just like the odd passing car that kind of reminded you that no, there is such a thing as civilization. Yeah, and like <laughs> we know. we um, noticed then and, and continued to do so as we rode up the West Coast that um, all the bridges were just one-way bridges. And we were like, what, you know, is this because there's no one here? And it kind of is. <laughs> yeah, I don't know. I, I kind of had two feelings about the one-way bridge because, you know, it's what's quite nice is that they allow for a bit of cooperation between drivers and cyclists, you know. No one seemed to mind being caught behind us riding on a, over the one-way bridges because you're crossing these gr giant river mouths. Mm. Uh, quite often and you know lots with lots of braids and these really gushing rivers that are coming down off the southern alps and so that was that was a nice part about it but i also thought with them that it kind of is a bit of a signifier really that no one gives a crap about the west coast you know you're not going to find one-way bridges out of auckland well actually you know there was this one-way bridge over to the coromandel and aucklanders complained so much about it uh, trying to get to their holiday homes. It's one bridge that uh, they, I think they end up building a new one. But, you know, they would never do that on the West Coast. You know, only 33,000 people live on the West Coast. That's incredible. Yeah, and that's from um, right in the north where we didn't end up getting to a place called um, Karamea, down to Haast. And the length is the same length as between Wellington and Auckland. Really? So it's a giant expanse of land. Yeah. And 33,000 people live there. And, you know, <laughs> and from, well, basically from Haast Pass, 
into Haast and then all the way up to uh, Fox Glacier, an area covering well, probably 200 kilometres or so. Yeah. No mobile coverage, nothing. You know, mm. you know, and I just think, you know, they just, the government probably just thinks, oh, no one lives there, you know, it's not really worth it, not economical enough, we'll just leave them uh, in the WAPs. Yeah, I suppose so. Um, the, the good thing, I, I guess, about there not being so many people is that there's so much native forest and and a lot of it's just coming right up to the highway so you know it's quite um quite a special experience and it's a it's one of the big reasons that we saw so many uh tourists driving in camper vans and vans and station wagons and and uh yeah driving the highways um to experience the kind of wildness of the west coast but of course with us being on our bikes we got to experience it even more you know they're in their cars seeing you know driving through all this native forest mm. and we're on our bikes and we get to feel you know we get to feel what it's like the sort of the that kind of weird cold that you ride into when you go out of the sun and into the into the forest canopy and stuff and um, you know obviously the bird song and the rivers yeah, yeah that re- it was such a highly sensory experience that's wasn't true, it that's true that's true yeah for sure um so you know and the other thing about it you know being not very populated and big huge expanses of of native forest and and wild land is that you know there's a lot of there's a lot of animals out there and so um you get you know quite a lot of people who come for fishing and hunting yeah actually remember when we came into Haast we saw some dudes um standing by a bridge with revolvers uh and they're all had their faces all painted up wearing army camouflage gear we thought um Actually, before like before my eyes registered what I'd before my brain registered what I'd seen, I was like g'day and s- just said hello in a really like casual, friendly way. And then I clocked. I was like, they look really weird and dangerous and kind of crazy. Yeah, and when we were at the campground, we we're staying at at Haast. I met this uh, Danish hunting journalist, um, really interesting guy. You know, he came out here to go um, hunting with a bow and arrow, trying to. Um, uh, shoot a deer and his he was a real ethical guy his philosophy was he wasn't going to um, fire off his bow unless he knew that that would kill the deer so unsurprisingly he hadn't killed any deer or fired yeah, any bow that, and arrow that, i know they'd been deer stalking for five days in really dense bush with a cameraman in there and everything and uh, they came up with a sum total of zero deer yeah because actually in central otago as well it's the time when the deer are, are roaring the males are competing aren't they yeah they're all competing for a missus yeah and and we actually um passed a whole load of them at one point and i think you know we can put the sound of it underneath but um and the hunters love this time of year because what they do is they um have some way of making that same sound and so the hunter makes that roar and another stag will a stag will like approach to to kind of fight or show how manly they are and then the hunter's like sweet quids and mm. shoot yourself a, a stag with however many points yeah yeah it's it's quite interesting this the other this the other thing with this danish guy that he actually is a um a consultant or a, i think he's the venison supplier for noma which is uh, often named as the best restaurant in the world in copenhagen with chef rene redzepi i think a lot more people come to the west coast though to see um the major tourist activity here which is the twin glaciers of fox and Franz Joseph. 
we hooked up with a couple from Warm Showers, um, the cycling accommodation website, and um, we were really lucky actually because they turned out to be uh, working as guides on Fox Glacier. So uh, Jules and Mark, um, loved the lovely couple that we stayed with in the little flat that they were living in. They're from the UK originally, um, and they've been doing quite a lot of cycle touring and now working in Fox Glacier for a bit, and they gave us the lowdown on the glacier over Mark's speciality, Cram Blimey Cake. We're here on Fox Glacier with uh, two professional guides. Could you introduce yourselves, please? Hi, I'm Jules. And I'm Mark. Hi there. Okay, well, actually, we're in their living room, so we should probably <laughs> just state that right now. So I wanted to ask you guys quickly, because I don't think Baden and I are going to get onto the glacier, are we? Well, we'll see. We can't take our bikes on it, though, can we? You can't these days. People used to go up there on their motorbikes, though. Really? So you yeah. can ride straight off the road and up the glacier? Not quite. I don't think that would be <laughs> true in no, those days. No. But there's pictures of people up there on their motorbikes and their horses and their dogs. Mm -hmm. Yeah. Recumbent tandems. <laughs> <laughs> They're probably like a little bit more health and safety conscious these days. But um, I wanted to ask you, uh, Jules, would you mind telling me how the glacier was formed? <laughs> <laughs> no pressure. Get him to do it. <laughs> Mark. All right. Uh, so we get a lot of rain here uh, because we're sitting on the west coast and we've got lots of hot air coming over from Australia. Um, we've also got really big mountains. So um, what happens is way up in the mountains then all that rain falls as snow. So we get about 40 to 80 meters of snow every year. Uh, a lot of snow. Yeah. And all that snow falls in a huge big catchment area. So just like rivers have catchment areas, uh, so do glaciers. And the catchment area for the Fox Glacier is about 30 square kilometers. So all of that snow squishes down under its own weight and turns to ice, just like if you're having a snowball fight with someone you didn't really like very much and you picked up the snow and squished it down really, really hard, you'd make an ice snowball. This is what's happening up in the neve, the catchment area. Yeah. And that flows down the hill because it's really, really heavy. And that's what forms the glacier. And Jules, why is it um, better than Franz Josef Glacier? <laughs> is it better? It is better, yeah. yeah. Um, it's got a lot more terrain that we can explore. Mm -hmm. So there's there's a lot more of the glacier that we can access. So we get to see a lot more different features. And we also get the chance to go ice climbing and do much cooler stuff on, on Fox Glacier. What so kind of features are there? Uh, we get big ice caves forming cool. occasionally. And um, also these tunnels of ice through the glacier, which have been carved out by streams. Wow. Yeah, and we get to go to the crevasses as well. On the ice climbing trips, they'll lower you into a crevasse and you can climb back out of it, which is pretty good fun. Baden, you should do that. <laughs> I'd prefer to just go do it myself. You know, I'm quite experienced, so. Fall into a crevasse by yourself. And <laughs> rope myself back out oh, somehow. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Or just with crampons, just kind of like <laughs> click crampons on an axe, just kind of axe out of it, you know. <laughs> but is there competition between the guides over whose glacier is better? We had a few Franz guides over at the pub like a week or so ago, and they basically told us that our glacier is better. Oh, so it's confirmed. No, I think no, they like they like their glacier better. I think. I think there's definitely competition. Yeah, yeah, definitely. <laughs> yes, we, I had somebody from Franz Joseph on one of my trips, not one of the guides, but somebody who works for a helicopter company, and she came on the glacier and she said, "Your glacier is so clean and it's so blue." <laughs> <laughs> And she was she was amazed because their their glacier is really dirty looking. <laughs> <laughs> I love it. 
It's like there's just chippies packets just wandering, <laughs> floating around everywhere. Now, the best way to visit Fox Glacier is jumping in a helicopter and getting out there onto the glacier, but that was going to cost us 800 big ones, $800. <laughs> so, um, yeah, a little bit over our budget, right? Way, way over our budget. <laughs> so we've vowed to come back once we uh, are in a position of earning some money because it's, it sounds really amazing and you know, getting the low down there of Jules and Mark kind of inspired us that we have to really get one of these helicopters and get up there. Instead, we decided to... Um, <laughs> to not see any glaciers. Yeah. <laughs> and, and push on to uh, Whataroa, which is a, a small uh, farming community. A lot of the locals call it Wataroa. Um, there's lots of different local pronunciations, as we found out as we moved up the west coast. Mm. But uh, in Whataroa, um, we had to uh, try and find this old farmhouse that had been left for us to use for a couple of days. Oh, this is a really, really big kofi tree. I wonder how old this house is. Look how big this kofi oh, is. Kofi tree. So we are in the right place. Okay, so we're definitely in the right place. Good. All right, let's. Um... I didn't know that was kofi. Right. <laughs> okay, so the doorstep's a bit overgrown. Okay. Presumably, this is going to be open. Creak. Around the veranda, there's some jandals here. Okay. Oh. Wow. Okay. Okay. <laughs> this is a very big room. You can probably hear my voice echoing on the recording. This certificate was awarded to Gareth Price in recognition of his participation in the Wyo Showdown. Wow. Okay. So. It's a, it's a big room, tall ceiling. Wow, gosh, this is really beautiful. Maybe look at, look on the wow. Yeah, this is gorgeous, big dining room kitchen area with huge ceilings. The ceilings will be maybe three meters high. Yeah. Wow, this is really nice. I can hear the fridge is running, so the power's obviously on. Maybe just choose what bedroom you want. Oh my gosh, it's an it's pretty oh, old time of phone was there. Oh, it smells like lavender in here. Yeah. Oh yeah, there's a big lavender thing on the bed. Oh, this is really nice. Look, it's got a sign here that says sheets and pillowcases in here. Yeah. Wow, cool. Oh, thanks, Stretch. <laughs> And PJ for hooking it up. Oh my gosh, this is so... We might have to stay more than two nights. This is really nice. Right, get the beers in the fridge, baby. Yeah. Let's crack Let's a pack of chips. Yeah. What's your name? My name's Shelley Campbell. <laughs> Hi Shelley, my name's Dirk and we've just released about a thousand salmon into Lake Ianthi. Um, hopefully they should 
um, grow quite well in here and be caught as probably landlocked salmon by, by anglers trolling around in boats would be the typical method of catching fish here. Yeah. And so when will these guys get caught and be the right size to be fished up? In about two years' time, they should weigh in around about a kilo would be about their maximum weight. Um, they're landlocked in here, so they can't get to the ocean, which is not typical of Chinook salmon, which like to migrate out to sea at this size. But um, in this case, they're, they're trapped in here, so they're sort of, yeah, they call them landlocked salmon at, yeah, in that situation. But the other guys we're releasing today in different lakes will go out to the sea and come back as 15 to 20 pounders in three years' time. Yeah. Cool. Yeah. And so you've uh, nursed these little guys, have you? Yeah, we've grown these for they're a year old now, or nearly a year old, and um, they've come from the Rakaia River, where we've got a hatchery there, which we um, on-grow fish for all sorts of enhancement programs around the South Island. Oh, cool. Yeah. Awesome. I'll let you get back to it. Thank Good you. On you. Cheers. The rivers that we've been crossing as we've cycled up the west coast have just been outstandingly awesome don't you forget know. all the creeks baden and the culverts oh and creeks and well this is the thing there's so much water that's gushing <laughs> off the southern alps <laughs> some poor bugger has had to go along and name them all oh. name all these creeks and rivers you know you know in like a 10k stretch of road at one point there was like david creek doug creek roy creek uh have we got any other bloody names here in the uh, what's your name dave oh yeah dave creek <laughs> You know, it, it's literally been like that, and and the rivers are just splendid. Yeah. But you know what they're really renowned for, I guess, around here is uh, some of the magic uh, <laughs> that that lies within them, and especially along the Arahura, which is one of it's quite rare. So there's a river north of Hokutika, and it's one of the only owned rivers. In, um, in New Zealand. It's owned by the local Māori tribe. They have sort of jurisdiction over it here. Um, it's quite, and, and that's for a, a very special reason. It, it is, yeah. I mean, you know, the Māori name for the South Island is Te Waipounamu, and I guess you kind of translate that in my uh, pretty expert Māori as Greenstone Waters. Mm-hmm. And uh, Greenstone is like jade, you know, and we call it here in New Zealand Pōnamu. And we went somewhere where... No, they do some work with this precious stone. Uh, Stan McCallum's my name. Uh, I'm a jade carver. Work with Christy Wilson, and uh, the the piece here is um, a twist, and it's the meaning is that two lives becoming one for eternity and the bonding of friendship. Mm. Mm. And that that's uh, like an enigma. And then Enunga Green. So yeah. what does what does that mean? What, well, it's a white bait. So it's, so why they call it like white bait? What, what's the significance of the, the Enunga the, 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 the colour. Ah. The yeah, colour the, the grey and the blue colourings. Yeah. And white bait shimmers in the water. And yeah. a lot of your Enungas, like this one's Enunga, when you move it, it's almost like 3D. You see how the chatoyant bands change. Yeah. So when you see white bait, it's only little, like little worms in the water, and they catch it with big giant nets. So it looks like sort of shimmery, sort of like this, sort of like cloudy, funny looking things through the water. <laughs> so where, where do you reckon? Where would do you reckon that um, this rock would have been found? The Arahura. 
the Arahura, so Arahura is that a local river, river here yeah, yeah. near Hokitika? Yeah, yeah, not not this river, the next one over. Okay. Yeah. It's pretty much probably your most famous river probably yeah. in the world for Greenstone. Why is that? Um, well, they say nine and ten stones that you pick up and take home, thinking of jade, will be jade. Where most other rivers, you'll go, if you think, oh, this is a piece of greenstone, you can take ten pieces home and you might be lucky that one piece is stone. So the Arahura, for some reason, I'm not sure why, but it seems to produce more stone. Yes. When it was thrust up, the mountains were thrust up, it's a pod, there was a pod there, a huge pod, jade pod, and it's been eroding away. Oh, I see. Over thousands, well, millions of years. Yeah. It's yeah. actually, it's the only owned river, isn't yeah. it? Yeah. By a tribe. So certain tribes around this area sort of are certain districts, but that one river there is like privately owned by a specific tribe of people. So you can only sort of really go onto that river if you're from that tribe mm-hmm. so it's a it's a very um sort of sacred kind of place so the members of that tribe go down there and get you guys the rocks um well, how well, do you... I, i'm a part of that tribe oh cool yeah i'm actually the granddaughter of the chief ah. so i'm very lucky i can go any river pretty much anywhere i want to get mine um but it's it's true it's it's tricky. You can walk for days and days and days and find nothing. Really? Yep. Like you can see sort of all these ones here. A lot of these is Arahura, where you think that, like, you wouldn't even think that was greenstone. No. Yeah. It's yeah. like a normal yeah. rock. Yeah. Yep. And a lot of the times, um, I mean, it's great if you can find a nice green glowing sort of piece, like this here. This is the outside of a piece. Where this is Marsden, so Greymouth area, you get a lot of beautiful, rich oranges and yellows like this, and these beautiful skins that are just glowing in the water. Like you imagine you see that and you think, yep, that's greenstone. <laughs> but most of them, most of the time, you're looking for um, like white or Quartzy. brown, um, yeah, 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 yellow, blue. It's all very different, so... You must be so good at spotting it now, though. No, I'm terrible. Really? I'm terrible. I can't find it at all. <laughs> what about you, and I've been looking my whole life. I've been tons of over the years. Yeah. Yeah. Not me. So, Stan, like this piece here that Shelley's got, how, um, how do you make it? Is it, um, like, how, how long would that take to make? Uh, start to finish, about an hour and a half. Really? Yes. And what sort of tools do you use to cut the jade? Diamond drills. Ah, right. Everything's diamond. Really? Jade itself's the second hardest mineral in the world after diamond. So everything we use, pretty much every machine, every tool, is all diamonds. So it's a very expensive sort of setup to be involved in. Yeah. So it's 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 really it's good. Pretty if serious. You can, if you can source your own material or product. It's definitely a lot better. So unfortunately for a lot of people, they have to buy in their own stone on top of this diamond um, tools and machinery. So it's, yeah, not 
the cheapest trade to get into. That's jade there as well. Wow. That looks like a block of cheese. Yeah. It does, doesn't it? <laughs> Kokopo, mm. which is mountain trout. Yeah. Oh. So, like, the trout has the spots, the on, spots on their belly and that. So that mm. one's named after the Kokopo. Oh, cool. I love that the stones are named after things that are alive. Mm. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. They didn't, they didn't have TVs back then. Everything's <laughs> <laughs> named after a fish or a bird. Oh, <laughs> or a yeah, flower. There's no Johnny Depp. No. no. <laughs> Incredible. <laughs> oh, this is so cool. I'd like to definitely like to give this to my sister. Oh, cool. Yeah, yeah. You can do the deal, Chrissy. <laughs> Let's do the deal. doesn't get any better than this riding a wilderness trail in fact it's the west coast wilderness trail we've been riding for about 40 k's today mostly through native bush hey his show rocking on up mountain biking her way up the hill with you know, panniers and all that while the baby boomers have been coming the other way today on their sort of flash mountain bikes probably staying at some luxury accommodation somewhere along the trail you liking it, Shell? Yeah, it's beautiful. Very peaceful. Just birds, sound of a river running. Gorgeous native bush and the sun is shining. Yeah, that's the most important thing. The sun has been beautiful today. Not a cloud in the sky on the west coast. And we just sat here in the midst of, uh, what is this? Is this Kahikatea? Uh, Rimu. Rimu trees, really long, tall posts reaching up into the blue sky. Oh, this has been so nice today. And this trail, what a tourism asset this thing is. It, uh, it starts in Ross, uh, which is just south of Hokutika. You follow an old uh, train line, old logging train line up to uh, Hokutika itself. You go around the lake, uh, through more native bush like this, and then and then out of Hokutuki, you roll in uh, around to Lake Kanieri. And, and the scenery just changes all the time. We've had sort of uh, lush uh, green fern bush and what else? Um, you know, like running uh, this trail along a water race. That was really nice as well. Here we've got you know, the tall rimu holding together the hillside. We're sort of climbing back up again at the moment. And it's just been a beautiful trail all around. It's called the Wilderness Trail, but not much of it is wilderness. That's my complaint. Uh, there's quite a bit of it on the road. Um, and so this part here, which is a, a trail through native bush, that's like really special. This is something that we haven't really done on this trip before. And um, just just is just so much fun. It's just so much fun. And I would love to do this without the panniers on. Yeah, that would be fantastic. And it's interesting um, how much money a trail like this is bringing in. It's only uh, been going for about two years or so. But we're just talking to the guy at Cowboy Paradise. He uh, About four years ago, he used his family's land to set up a bit of a shooting gallery. And then uh, they said to him, oh, look, we're thinking about building a cycle trail nearby. Do you mind if it came through your land? He was like, nah <laughs> and so he built accommodation and he's been having since november uh, i think this summer it's really taken off for them but since november he's had 
you know, sometimes, what, 30 people a night, at least 10 people a night, he said, he said he's had every night since November. And we saw in Ross yesterday, just south of Hokotika, a whole bunch of people filling up the cafes in the streets there. It's um, such a great asset. And, you know, if, if you're thinking about, oh, where should I go on a cycle tour? I think it's things like this. Um, and if, you know, if you hear about trails like this, this would entice me to come because when you think about our whole trip, you know, almost 15,000 kilometres of it, we haven't done anything like this before, have we? Cycling through Ross, Hokitika and Kumara, um, it's pretty obvious that gold's been an important part of life here. And all of the kind of welcome to town signs, there's always the offer of gold panning, for example, as a tourist activity. Yeah, it's it's been a big part of the West Coast economy and, you know, and, and it's been an economy, you uh, know, with a lot of things here on the West Coast that have been plagued by the old boom and bust. Mm. But um, I guess there's been a bit of more interest in back in the gold in recent years. You know, they've had other mines closed down. You know, the timber industry has fallen through the floor here. You know, jobs is a big problem here. And anyway, there's, you know, people are back interested in gold again. You know, the price has been quite high and stable uh, of recent years with all the sort of global uncertainty in the economy. Yeah, really unexpectedly, our friendly uh, host, Des actually was kind enough to give us a tour of a working gold mine. Yeah. So, like, you can see, see the, area, the area with rocks in it. There's a wee bit of gold in that top stuff, but um, not a great deal. But as soon as you get into that um, brownie layer with the big rocks in it, yeah. that's where the gold is. So they've been stripping a lot of that top stuff off and just throwing it away to get to the more valuable gold. So what do they, do they scrape it off? Um, they've got a bulldozer and a digger as well, and are just blowing it off over the back. Well, with dynamite or whatever? No, no, just um, pushing it off. Pushing it oh, off, pushing it off. Yeah, yeah. So it's all going into some gully somewhere else on your land? Yeah, yeah, yeah it is, yeah. Oh, man. But we still believe there's more gold um, under this layer as well, so... Um, logically, if they can, if it's payable for what they're doing here, and we get onto the bottom stuff, they'll be here for years. Wow, man! And so, what will happen to this land eventually? Um, well, they have to put it back into a reasonable thing, so it, it will come out as a nice farm at some stage. Oh, okay. Yeah. Oh, that's good. So that's part of the contract of yeah, working it's part on it. Yeah, they have to put the land there. That is crazy huge. It's just this like young Chinese guy driving it gave us a peace sign. Yeah, well he's the <laughs> only one that can speak English. Oh, okay. Right. So what does this big machine do? It's... So um, the digger sits up on the pile at the front of the gold screen there. Yeah. And feeds the dirt into, into what they call the hopper. <sighs> And it comes down through the rotary uh, trommel there. And the trommel has got um, mesh on it 
um, of about 12 mil, so anything more than 12 mil goes up the stacker, and anything under 12 mil goes down across the tables. And gold is 19 times heavier than sand, so it's caught in the ripples. And then they set up a process later on to take all that out and find out how much gold's there. But it's uh, a lot of looking with without much success, right? Um, can be, yeah. 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 Have they found any like really good sized pieces? Yeah. Yeah. Really? I, I had some nice ones from um, a previous miner this morning, and um, but I had to sell them. You know. That must be exciting, though. Yeah. A bit of an understatement there. Well, we came over a pass to get into the west coast, and we've just come over one, and we've pretty much we're pretty much exactly on the edge of of the west coast and entering uh, Canterbury now. Yeah, uh, I guess we're heading down to the east now. Um, you know, we had to. Well, I don't know. I really wanted to come here. I've been. Um, I lived in Christchurch in Canterbury for two years while I was a student. And, uh, you know, since then, a fair bit has happened, None, not least uh, a giant earthquake uh, in 2010 and then another one in 2011, which claimed around 200 lives. And uh, the whole landscape of, uh, of Canterbury has changed in that time. And, um, yeah, I kind of, yeah, I, you know, I think um, I wanted to go over Arthur's Pass and I want to you know, check out, you know, my old haunt. Mm. But... Um, yeah, and then I guess after that, uh, we'll head north. There's some sort of cycle trails heading up north to Nelson that I've got my eye on, and so... I just get dragged along with you, do I? Yeah. Do I have any say in this? No, not really. Um, <laughs> so rude. <laughs> well, I don't know. There's not that many options. We're, otherwise, we have to sort of cycle up State Highway 1, and we really don't want to do that, do we? No, I suppose not. <laughs> <laughs> Right, well, um, we haven't actually been plagued by any Kia while we've been talking, oh, and Terry think, seems pretty um, safe. Yeah, well, I've been doing all these leak burps, uh, yeah, and I think... been really traumatising for me. Yeah, so I think that's kind of scared them off. All right, well, wish us luck for the rest of the night. That's our podcast for this time. Thank you very much for listening. As always, we love to know how you are and where you are, so you can always post a comment under this podcast on our blog at howareyouwhereareyou.com and we'll put in photos and things as well that match up with the podcast um, you can also find links on there to subscribe to it um, and other bits and pieces that Baden's done Baden have you been doing anything on there no <laughs> <laughs> well although um, we've been doing a fairly um, getting more into our diary writing again and so we need to post up a lot of our diary entries into our interactive map so just click on the lines and see what we've been up to on those particular roads <laughs> thank you as always to Callum Campbell for the original music in the podcast uh, you can find Callum um, he performs his runtime and he's on SoundCloud yeah SoundCloud you can find Baden at Baden C on Twitter or Baden Cycling on Instagram thank you very much to all of our lovely hosts on the west coast so thank you to Dez, Stretch and Paddy, to Kevin, and to Mark and Jules. Until next time, ciao. Hi, dear.